I'm Alex Wong, and the Wong Takes start now. Yo, 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 yo. I said we would have a uh, packed weekend of college football this week, and boy, did it deliver from 9 a.m. till like 8 p.m., 8.39. We had a great college football slate, and um, I don't really see any reason why not to just jump straight into it. So, college football, week seven. In the big noon game, the Red River, what they're no longer calling shootout. Oklahoma and Texas, in fact, when we expected a shootout, we got, even though the final score may not look like it, anything but. After the first quarter, this game was 7-0. After the second quarter, it was 10-3. And only in that final half did we start to get some real action. But I think that is the story of this game is that Oklahoma's defense can make it for real. I mean, this Oklahoma offense, we've always known, has been able to keep up, you know, with the big boys, right? The Alabamas of the world, the Clemsons of the world. In the, what was it, the one of the semifinals last year, right? Oklahoma played Alabama, and it was... A shootout. I mean, Oklahoma scored a lot of points, but ultimately their defense just couldn't do much against Tua. And to go against a such a dynamic quarterback in Sam Ellinger and hold them to three points in the second quarter and only a 49-yard field goal from Cameron Dicker uh, at the end of the half uh, allowed them to score. That makes this Oklahoma team look like a championship-caliber team. They're aggressive. They can get important stops. And even at the end, uh, the, the game wasn't as close, really, as it, as it may have looked. I mean, they had a two-score lead, and, and Texas needed to recover an onside kick uh, to, and then go down the field and score to win the game. So I don't think this game was even as close as the final score looks. And they still got burned on some big plays. I mean, that was what helped Texas break through uh, in the first place, was those deep throws. Uh, and big runs that got them into scoring range. In the third quarter, there are two touchdowns. First first touchdown was seven plays, 93 yards. Second was five plays, 60 yards. If Oklahoma can, if the Oklahoma secondary can tighten up, their front seven is very good and has the capability of holding their end of the bargain when they play the Alabamas of the world. Also, I think Jalen Hurts, a lot, one of the big moves coming into the season for Oklahoma, Jalen Hurts coming over from Alabama. Uh, how is he going to fit into this system? And he's doing it very well, taking over the Baker Mayfield-Kyler Murray role. And what those quarterbacks were able to do was they were both very good pocket passers, right? They can stand in the pocket, they can make the deep throws, they can hit, hit throws accurately. But what they also possess the ability to do is make plays when the play breaks down or when the coverage is there, right? You don't get these coverage sacks. Um, You get eight, nine-yard runs. They can escape the pocket. They can make plays with their feet. And early on in the game, Jalen Hurts was using his legs, um, and he kept it throughout. 
And I think he's he's still got it. I mean, the big question was, does, does Jalen Hurts still have it in him, uh, you know, to to lead a championship team? And he definitely does. I mean, look at this. 17 carries for 131 yards and a touchdown from Jalen Hurts alone and 276 yards from Oklahoma on the ground. I mean, who would have thought a year ago that this Oklahoma team could have more yards rushing than passing? This Oklahoma team is diverse uh, as far as their offensive scheme goes. The defense is aggressive. I think this looks like a championship-caliber team. I mean, I'm ready to say it. I mean, they are, like, what, now five ranked in the country or something like that? But, you know, you didn't. they didn't really look like a championship team until this week against Texas and this year in particular. I think they've got an inside, they've got a chance to really pull off a big upset uh, against the Ohio States or the Clemsons or the Alabamas. And I would not be surprised to see it happen uh, after this performance. They don't really have too many big games left on their schedule. I mean, the Big 12 is not the strongest conference. Right now, the only ranked opponent left on their schedule is 18th Baylor. Uh, so, And who knew Baylor was ranked 18th? But it will be exciting to see what uh, Oklahoma can do with the rest of their season. And they've got... Uh, probably a rematch with Texas in the in the uh, conference championship game, and so I look forward to that. But this Oklahoma team is really, really good. Second game, I didn't really watch too much of it, so I can't really say too much about it. But we had our first big, big, big upset of this college football season, with number three Georgia falling to the now 3-3 three and three South Carolina. What the hell? I mean, it was really surprising to see this game was close at all. And for uh, South Carolina to have a 17-10 lead at the half. But it was just interesting to watch the lack of offense out of Jake Fromm um, and the running backs as well. I'm not going to go too in-depth on this one, but those are the issues that they're going to have to rectify uh, before they get to this brutal three-week stretch of the season. They're playing Florida, who is now has one loss. That'll essentially be an um, elimination game. It's so fun when you get these elimination games. Uh, that'll be an elimination game for playoff status. And then Mizzou, surprisingly 5-1, 22nd ranked. And then, of course, Auburn, uh, and potentially another elimination game. So it's going to be a really interesting couple of weeks for Georgia to see what it, what they're made of and to see if this offense can get back on track. Plus, of course, they'd have to play Alabama in the SEC championship game. So Georgia's basically got to win out against, like, four top ten teams, or three top ten teams, if they want to have a, even a shot at the playoffs. But this loss is pretty damning. This is the Purdue loss. Uh, even though it's not as bad, this is the Ohio State-Purdue loss from, like, a year ago or two years ago. And then the night game. Oh, the night game. LSU and Florida. Uh, this was probably the most hype, one of the more most hyped games I've wa- or, uh, seen in a long time. Uh, number five and number seven in Death Valley, the Tigers and the Gators. And this was almost what we expected out of Oklahoma, Texas, right? Early on, it looked like a shootout. I mean, these offenses were going back and forth. And in a league that's known typically for its defense in the SEC, uh, we got to see what happens when you put two elite offenses on display. 
in this game. Joe Burrow had 293 yards on 21 for 24 passing. Just wow. And Kyle Trask uh, went 23 for 39 with 310 yards passing. So not a bad game for him either. I think what's interesting is this dual quarterback system Florida's using. They've got Kyle Trask as the main passing down back. And then they've got Emery Jones to come in as sort of a a wildcat style, but with a passing threat, right? When he comes in, he, won't, he only attempted three passes. Uh, one of them was for a touchdown, interestingly. But he ran nine times for 36 yards. I mean, he, when Emory Jones is there, you know he's probably going to run the ball, and they're probably going to use that back uh, as a, a blocker, and they're going to swing Jones out wide. And I think that's an interesting setup. I don't know how long they'll be able to maintain it. I mean, once teams kind of catch on to it, and it really was on display against the Tigers, uh, it, it, it seems like it's something that wouldn't be that hard to stop. But Kyle Trask, I think, coming into this game and showing that he can perform on the big stage as a... They, they kept saying it's the first time he started a game since his, high school, or his freshman year of high school. But the fact that he can go into Death Valley, make plays, lead his team, keep them tied as late as 3.15 left in the third quarter, that's a pretty big, I think, moral victory for the Gators. They can make a run at this thing. I mean, if you take a look at their schedule, they've got Georgia and Mizzou left. I mean, the SEC East is much comparatively weaker. And then, of course, taking on the SEC West champion, whoever that would be perhaps even a rematch with these Tigers. The LSU offense, meanwhile, is elite. Joe Burrow did a masterful job uh, leading that LSU offense. He just doesn't, didn't make mistakes. Three touchdowns, no picks, 96.2 QBR. Plus, they've just got great speed, uh, not only with their wide receivers, but their running backs. Edwards Lair, uh, in one case, had a brilliant run. And their play calling looked great as well. I mean, getting guys open on the boundary, setting up makeable throws for Burrow. And also, I thought was interesting was LSU's defense just seemed prepared. And at the, toward the end of the game, it really made the difference. I mean, Florida's marching down the field trying to get one score in, onside kick, another score. Um, and then LSU's defense makes a goal line stand capped with a perfectly defended option play. That was just exquisite to watch. And if you're a defensive mind, I'm sure you would be. That is like the greatest thing you've ever seen in your life. And I think LSU and Ed Orgeron have probably the best chance for a title shot in a long, long time uh, this year. Looking ahead a little bit. Taking a look at the AP poll that was released on Sunday. Alabama at 1, LSU at 2, Clemson at 3, Ohio State 4, Oklahoma 5, Wisconsin 6, Penn State 7, Notre Dame 8, Florida and Georgia at 9, and 10. A couple things. One, there are a lot of good teams this year with really good defenses. I mean, I'm looking at Alabama, of course. Clemson, LSU, basically anyone in the top five or six. Wisconsin's defense is also elite. I mean, 
when we get to playoff time and, and, and conference championship time, we might see some very good defensive battles. You know, I wouldn't be surprised if the national championship is like 21-17 or something. And that's maybe not the best if you're looking for a shootout, but if you're a college football fan, I think you're looking forward to it because it, it'll really put to the test the, the strengths of these clubs. Also, another note, uh, Alabama and LSU are 1-2, and I'm a little too young to remember, but I'm very decently well-versed in my college football history. The game of the century in 2011 against Alabama, with Alabama and LSU uh, ended 9-6, I believe, the, with the uh, Tide winning. And we very well might get that again. If LSU and Alabama can run the table before November 9th, which is in three weeks, almost two weeks, two and a half weeks now, we will have one of the biggest matchups in college football over the last few years, LSU going to Tuscaloosa to play the Tide. LSU's got Auburn before then, and that's no given. Alabama's basically got a cakewalk. So... This is a matchup that I'm very much looking forward to, uh, to kind of seal who's going to win the SEC West and who's got an inside shot at the college football playoff. So that's one matchup uh, I'm really looking forward to. Also, I believe Penn State's whiteout game uh, is this weekend. So, of course, I'm looking forward to that. Uh, when, when Michigan travels to Happy Valley... Uh, to take on the Nittany Lions. It's really ramping up, man. College football. I love it. We all love it. And I am psyched to see how the rest of this season will play out. NFL Week 6. Um, yeah, I think the NFL is quickly becoming just a... Uh, oh, yeah, Cal had a bye week, so there's no local hour for college football. NFL is kind of becoming a local hour. Because uh, mostly at this point, the NFL is fantasy for me. And so... <laughs> Uh, once we get to, like, the playoffs, you know, I'll probably talk a lot more about it. But for now, um, of note, uh, the Chiefs lost again. They're now, uh, what, 4-2? and two? Surprising loss to the Texans, who are quickly, quickly showing up for, to be for real. Uh, the Lions got hosed by the refs. I am totally in favor of a, like, a ref, like, people have talked about, like, the sky ref, like, the ref that kind of looks down and, like, is able to just call out plays that they don't think. Now, one of the complaints that is totally reasonable is that this would slow down the game, right? Uh, or, or really just take away a lot of tension. Kind of like how um, with Major League Baseball, right? Uh, replay's been a net positive, but one of the downsides is every time there's a close play, everyone looks toward the dugout for the replay guy, right? There's not as much of the pure emotion. I think with the NFL, something that could happen is there's a, a sky ref, and if they think there's a particularly egregious call, they have like, let's say, five seconds after the end of the play to wire down to the field and say, guys, you've got that wrong. And I think if you do that, or maybe 10 seconds to give them a little chance to look at a replay, but I think if you do that, then you have a quick system that could work um, and not you know, disrupt the flow of the game too much. Meanwhile, on to the local hour. The Niners. How about them Niners? 5-0 and with a 20-7 to defeat over the Los Angeles Rams at the Coliseum. That had a lot of Niners fans in it, and that effect was kind of exacerbated because the seats are red because it's normally USC's, but it looks like Niners fans. I don't care. I'll take it. 
But how about these Niners? It's been, this is the most excited we've been about this team since in like six or seven years. And the Rams are now 3-3, three and three, but whatever. The Niners, man, that defense is so, so good. You know, um, if you look at who the Niners have played so far this year, there's a, a, a you can say whatever you want about them, right? You can look at their schedule, the Bucks are, like, literally the most inconsistent team I've ever seen. The Bengals suck. The Steelers, with their second-string quarterback, suck, although they just beat the Chargers. Uh, and the Cleveland Browns are the Cleveland Browns. And now the Rams were missing Todd Gurley. But I saw a comment somewhere. It was Twitter or Reddit. It was like, you know, it, it, it just seems like every team, or you can only say that it seems like every team has just happens to have a bad game when they're playing the Niners for so long. At some point, it's the Niners that are the difference. And that defense... That line is elite, getting pressure on Goff on every single play, forcing him to be uncomfortable. And the secondary, the secondary is probably the most improved part of the team um, from what I've seen. I remember last year, they just get burned all the time. They would hold, commit stupid penalties. And now that defense, now that secondary is locking up wide receivers. Only a 78 yards passing for Jared Goff. 78 yards? Seriously? From Jerry Goff? Forcing a fumble as well? I mean, this offense, this defense is elite. And the offense, meanwhile, just keeps on churning. They didn't look the best in this game, but Jimmy Garoppolo had another uh, pretty decent game. 24 for 33, 243 yards and an interception. That was a terrible interception. But... Luckily, they got bailed out a little bit by the defense, but they didn't turn the ball over too much, and I think that's all we're really asking of them. We can't have a repeat of the Steelers game. but the, And this game should not have been as close as it was. I mean, this should not have been a two-score game late. The Niners just dominated this from wire to wire, or at least after, like, the first quarter and a half. But I'm excited to see this Niners team because defense travels, the run game travels, and their schedule starts to, or it's, it's, it's medium. They've got the Redskins, who just got their first win just barely against the Windless Dolphins. Then they've got the Panthers, who are kind of a mixed bag, but Kyle Allen has been really good and has them on a four-game winning streak. Cardinals, mixed bag. Seattle, surprisingly, one of the best teams in the league right now, right now led by Russell Wilson as always. I'm excited to see this rivalry get back, to, get back up. Because it was at it when I was when it was at its peak, you know, with um, Colin Kaepernick there and Russell versus Russell Wilson. That was one of the most exciting football rivalries I've seen. And with Richard Sherman now a Niner, interesting to see him to go back to CenturyLink Field uh, with the red and gold. Um, circle your calendars, November 11th, Monday night on ESPN, Niners and Seahawks at Levi's, and then of course they have to play again. That's the last week of the year. Uh, four days after Christmas, so at, at CenturyLink. This Niners team is going to make a run, and they really, at this point, have no excuse not to make a run because they look like contenders right now, and I'm kind of curious to see how long they can keep this win streak up. The next game is a little bit of a trap game, so uh, you've got to be careful if you're San Francisco. This is a game they should win. But either way, we are hopeful, as always, as Niners fans, um, and I, I can't wait. All right, the play MLB playoffs. 
uh, have progressed. Interestingly, <laughs> the Nationals and Cardinals. The Nationals have put up a pitching performance for the ages. Three games in, their starters have gone over 21 innings with no earned runs. The first two games in St. Louis, Nationals starters took no hitters into the seventh inning and beyond. And Steven Strasburg threw over 100 pitches, over 110 pitches, and the Cardinals only managed an unearned run. I mean, this Nationals pitching staff, when they, we knew that when they got it together, they were going to be really good, and boy, they look like, when they look like this, they are scary. So, unless there's another crazy 3-0 comeback, the Nationals are headed to the World Series to face either the Astros or the Yankees. This series has been really fun. Um, ever since the Astros beat the Dodgers in the World Series in 2017, I've become, like, a little bit of an Astros fan. Like, I kind of have a team for, like, every division. So, like, I don't know. Uh, not really. But the Astros are kind of my AL West team because they beat the Dodgers a few years ago. Uh, the the uh, Red Sox are my AL East team because my dad's from there. So, this works out. I, I, I'm rooting for the Astros, I guess. I mean, I'm a, I'm a neutral, but I guess if I had to choose one, I'm rooting for the Astros. And... Uh, they're currently playing as I'm recording this, so I guess I'll just talk about the first two games. That second game was a thrilling one, with the with Carlos Correa hitting a walk off home run and pimping the crap out of it. Boy, I love when these when these players have fun. I think when you're in the playoffs, the unwritten rules go out the window a little bit uh, because everyone understands that there's so much emotion involved that it's unreasonable to expect players not to do what Correa did in the heat of the moment. Um, but uh, the Yankees. It's going to be about, can they hit home runs, just like they are, for both teams. Can they hit home runs like they've been doing the entire year? Uh, and if they can, the winner, or the per- team that does that, will win the series. It's pretty much that simple. If I had to predict, I'm going to take the Houston Astros in that series. Um, but the Nationals are kind of a Cinderella team right now, and I don't really see anyone stopping their vibe. Uh, we'll see what happens when they get to the World Series. If they get to the World Series, of course. Quick take. So Marcus Peters, cornerback for the Los Angeles Rams, now a cornerback for the Baltimore Ravens, traded for linebacker Kenny Young. This is interesting, interesting because the Akeem Talib was out for the Niners game, and the secondary didn't get burned a ton. But it's interesting that they're reducing their depth even further with this move. I guess the Rams are just looking for something that's different because they're 3 and 3 now. And I honestly don't know which way they're trending. I mean, the offense looks anemic or looked anemic. And the defense didn't look bad, but the offense I think is the biggest problem. And so I guess this move will try to shake things up a little bit. According to Football Outsiders, they're 20th uh, in pass defense DVOA, which is defense adjusted value over average. And so I think the move for the Rams should be on offense, but we'll see where this takes them uh, over the course of the rest of the season. Thank you so much for listening to The Long Takes. Check out the podcast, bit.ly, slash The Long Takes, The Long Takes, at gmail.com. Rate and subscribe on iTunes and Google Play, send questions and voicemails. Thank you so much for listening, and 
I will see you next week.